0: What were we saying? One five now? Okay, all right. All right. You know what? Let's, we can stop right there. The, I mean, the experiment's done. Mac, their goose is cooked. Their their goose is cooked. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Nate are on the mics to break down the week three action. And what a slate of week three action it was Nate, we were both in attendance for games this week, and I'm sure we'll have some stories to tell from both of those. But whether from your adventure into the, I guess, now possibly inhospitable uh, confines of Varsity Stadium, um, or just your takes from all the other games, what's your sort of first few impressions from Week 3 in the OUA? Uh, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is sort of the atmospheres, let's say, that were on display this week.
1: Um, You know, you yourself were at the Western game and kind of can attest to how, you know, raucous that environment was and sort of being able to fill uh, that stadium there in London is a big feat. I think we were talking before the pod. It's, uh, you know, packing a lot of fans in there, blackout night, Uh, just a a spectacle all around. You know, I mean, a bit more than just football, but a real social event, a real community gathering out there in London, Um, huge crowd at the Waterloo game. Um, That was another one. Great to see them pack out that, you know, small intimate venue there, uh, get that place rocking. And in Toronto, it wasn't the same 4,000 person crowd last week, but it's still over two grand there and, you know, beautiful time there with the CN Tower in the background. You can't really go wrong. So that, and I mean, obviously we had some spectacular football games on display and uh, you know, it's not often in in any sports that you get into the third game of the season and it's a must win situation. So you know a real tense environment for for some of these teams going to these games and looking forward to discuss uh, the results with you
0: yeah and, and then of course with the added development right before all these games coming down the pike on friday with mac having to forfeit their first two wins the York lions picking up a win on the season go lions roar uh just you know so many machinations and uh yeah so let's not waste any more time getting into the games well other than I supposed to do what we always do off the jump and hand out a little hardware. Um, let's start Let's start with, uh, let's acknowledge the uh, special teams or special forces as uh, Billy Brown out of Guelph used to say. Uh, Nate, who'd you like this week?
1: Oh, we're flipping around and going backwards. All right, well, I got a, I got a bit of a curveball this week because it's not, you know, the most traditional special teams play because, I mean, technically speaking, it was on offense, but this is sort of the beauty of things that can happen in Canadian football, but really, sort of a clever play at the end of the half, where you know UFT was down by nine points. You know they're around midfield. You know maybe enough time to throw a hail mary, but definitely you know would be a bit of a stretch. So what do they do? They throw a little hit screen and punt it into the end zone, where the quarterback Kinsale Phillip is down in on the tackle to get the single and get it within a one one point uh, one score game. Sorry, before the half and. Really just, uh, you know, it's not often you see kind of the magic of Canadian football take shape like that. But I could tell you uh, down in the beer garden at that end zone, it was electric watching uh, the players run down and get that single.
0: It's kind of like the inverse of the booby miles where... And he can pass, where all of a sudden it's Kinsella Phillip. we've seen him pass, we've seen him run it, and now it's like, and he can tackle. Um, I'll admit, uh, monitoring the other three one o'clock games, that UFT game really uh, fell by the wayside, unfortunately, as uh, excited as I was for it. But uh, yeah, it sounded like a, a heck of a ball game. I can't wait to get all your takes from that one. For me, I'm going to shout out uh, young Mr. Ben Huckabone, wide receiver for the Carlton Ravens he got i believe it was the last uh, major of the game when he blocked a punt scooped himself and scored which uh, you know york have had a number of issues this year and perhaps their most notable one is on on specials um and you know getting punts blocked on them but hey that is a, a, a notable feat Anytime a player can do that and if I'm being a little selfish, Ben Huckabone was featured on our Freshman 15 series that we ran during uh during the pandemic. So, a uh, shout out to young Mr. Huckabone. Uh let's Where do we go? I start specials. I guess we'll go defense next. I'm all over the place. Yeah, it's going defense. Defense. Let's let's ride.
1: So, I'm heading over to Ron Joyce. I'm going uh, you know, with a strong defensive performance in general that we saw from Ottawa. Uh, in particular uh hardnor dollywall uh really saw a game in general and sort of seven having seven tackles on the day but really um coming up in the cl- in the clutch uh securing what ended up being the interception that set up sort of the game winning touchdown there um just a really clutch play and you know kind of really cementing the ggs identity as sort of this defensive you know ball running uh football team that uh you know is Turned out to be, uh, you know, entering that kind of uh, upper echelon of the league.
0: Oh, I I cannot wait to talk about some Gigi's football when we get into it. And uh, I I believe he plays, seems to play safety for them. And of course, uh, we saw Luke Grease for so many years um, playing that position for the Gigi. So obviously big shoes to fill in that regard. And um, if you're looking at your OUA stats in the box score or the U Sports, you're not going to see an interception next to Dolly Wall's name. Much like while during game day, you should be trusting us for your live updates on scores and whatnot. Trust trust us, trust Nate when we say that, yes, he did have an interception. He did have an outstanding game. I'm going to go to the game I was attending and shout out Jackson Finley, uh, I believe second-year defensive back out of BC, picking up two sacks on the day, six tackles in total, and credited with a breakup as well. Western was giving Queens some fits with a few blitz packages that they were having trouble with. And, you know, we'll get into that game when we get into that game but you know, if there's one thing about this Queens team and specifically with that man, they got behind the helm and at the helm and James Keen is, he is an elusive bugger and probably one of the hardest back ball carriers to tackle regardless of position and absolutely the hardest ball carrier to tackle or quarterback to tackle. So to get him twice and then three times on the day in total for the Western defense uh, is notable. So shout out uh, to Finley in that endeavor. Uh, which takes us now to offense. Who you got, Nate? Uh, I feel like
1: this one's been a long time coming for us. You know, I feel like this is for a team that, you know, we've been on their case a little bit with the quarterback situation. You know, will they find their guy? Have they found their guy? Uh, a real statement performance by uh, the American kid, Jake Helfrich, uh, 19 to 32, 373 touchdowns. And really sort of, you know, the level of quarterback play that's been lacking for Guelph and sort of you know, his story in general, coming late in the camp, um, you know, transferring from South Carolina, um, really a remarkable story and kind of, you know, struggled a bit last week, but he's really only had a, a couple weeks of practice in Canadian football so far. So, um, you know, week one, a bit of a showa but uh, this is uh, what you call, you know, a fast learner, I guess, because uh, he was electric this week and, uh, you know, really intrigued to see kind of as he
0: learns the game more, uh, if these numbers keep lighting up the scoreboard. And an electric week, and we won't say too much more about it, but without the man who is unarguably his number one target in Clark Barnes this week. Um, so great performance by him. I'll give myself and Tom a little credit by doing our little over-under uh, on QBs that'll make the appearance for Guelph and setting that line at two and a half. So uh, I'm sure uh, uh, Ryan uh, Sheehan heard us, no doubt. I, I'm certain he loves our content and <laughs> just had to stick with the one guy. But great performance by uh, young Mr. Helfrich on the game there. I'm also going to go with a quarterback and I'm going with my second Mustang of the game of our rewards, I should say. And I'm going to shout out Evan Hillock, 12 for 20, 190, three touchdowns, you know, not the type of numbers. I mean, you mentioned what Helfrick did. I mean, his counterpart in that Waterloo Guelph game, Nolan Caban had really stellar numbers of his own. To me, this was beyond the stat sheet. Um, We'll get to this game and all the things that made it so spectacular. Obviously, the rivalry game, the thousands in attendance, the blackout, all these things. But if you were seeing uh, uh, Evan and the Western Mustang social media, he was dedicating this game very much to the passing of his former mentor and coach and uh, former just um, and just absolute icon in the London football community in KJ Kennedy. Having been in London now for about a year and a half myself and having spent time with the London Junior Mustangs and with this football community, it is exceptional the impact that that uh, individual in KJ had on this community. So a great performance by Evan, um, a a strong defense in Queens to be able to put up the, the numbers he did, but just everything that went into that game and like I said, specifically knowing that he obviously was thinking about KJ, throughout that game. Um, Big shout out to Evan. uh, Huge performance by the Mustangs. We'll get to that one. Um, But with no further ado, let us jump into our game recaps. And we'll start with the game that... You know, not to not to make light of it, didn't actually come to the conclusion with a final whistle or with the clock hitting zeros. Uh, but we'll get to that momentarily. It was the York Lions on the road taking on the Carlton Ravens. Final score in this one: the Ravens forty-five, the York Lions fourteen. Um, if you weren't following this game, I suppose I'll just explain what I'm. Meant just a second ago, um, a, a player for the Ravens uh, got injured. I don't know too many of the details. Late in the game, they had to get the ambulance out there, and uh, I, I suppose just the coaches agreed with the time left, the, the difference in the score. To be honest, that they just called the game. I don't know too many details other than that, but that's that's what I was alluding to in that regard. Um, so hopefully, that player is, is doing okay. Um, obviously, it was a hot day across the province. Um, Might have been something related to that. Don't know too many details. I don't want to speculate. But getting into just this game as it was, you know, this me and Tom talked about the sort of interesting parallel of Carlton and Max starting the season against each other. Neither team being overly impressive and maybe it was a question of, hey, maybe these teams are very equal and they're both solid. And that's sort of what drove the outcome to be what it was. And then we saw York go into Hamilton and Mac handled them, but it definitely brought to light some some holes in the McMaster game plan or in their just overall attack. And then we see York go to Carlton. And once again, don't be fooled by that final score. I think York has revealed some issues with this Carlton Ravens team. Um, you know, most notably their their offense really just takes a while to get going. And York had a tremendous day running the ball. And and obviously we'll shout at all those guys. But Nate, when, when you look at this game, when you look at the performances by some of these players, what we've seen out of the uh Carlton Ravens thus far, the now 0-3 oh, pardon me, the one the and two Carlton Ravens, similarly the one and two York Lions now. Um, what are you thinking about these two teams? Specifically Carlton, a team that, you know, if we're being real, more people thought could be a competitive team. Some people on our own, uh, at our own little family here at, at the 55, uh, myself perhaps included, uh, thought could be a, a competitive team.
1: Well, I think the interesting thing is, is, um, you know, it's kind of echoes or shades of sort of the same York game with Mac last week. And, you know, I could tell you sort of being at another game and having my eyes on the scores. I mean, you know, kind of whispers around the stadium after that first quarter, Hey, uh, you guys see that, that Carlton score? York's up 8-0 uh, at the end of the first. And kind of – it's kind of a big whoa moment in terms of, you know, was this maybe a bit of a a letdown game for Carlton, you know, being disappointed about last week and just kind of thinking, oh, it's York anyways, we're going to win. But, I mean, they really didn't do much until kind of York handed them opportunities, I found. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I it was – on the two different York punts, I believe, where they Carlton was able to have two good, uh, turnovers that really kind of got them going. And I mean, let's be honest. In sort of games in the past, I mean, you could take a look at the U of T game: zero points in the first half, zero points in the first quarter against York. Like these, this is something that's really, really concerning um, for this ball team. And you know, although the two and one record on the year so far, uh, big concerns going forward in terms of you know will they end up being a playoff team in the end? Because, you know, I'm not overly impressed with sort of how they've played so far this year. And, um, you know, you watching this game a bit more closely, Zach, kind of what, what in particular did you see that kind of, you know, was there anything about this offense in particular that really just wasn't clicking for them? Because there's a team that usually can run the ball.
0: And well, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned whether it was a, If any part of it was the just overlooking York, well, good teams don't overlook opponents. You don't play down to your opponent to not to sound like a cliche coach that everyone's had multiple times in their life. You know, the thing that still disappoints me with this offense is aside from that opening game against Mac, they haven't been able to get Josh Ferguson going. And they have some big bodies up on the O line. Despite that being the position I played, I don't have too much of a scouting report on who those uh, individuals are and just what they bring to the, the the field. Other than the fact that you know I have my eyes, and there's some pretty big dudes out there. But him only having nine carries in this game is is cause for concern. The bright spot for this offense, if we're gonna, or for this team really in general as We kind of saw as we saw last year as well is the Ferdinand brothers, uh, both of whom performing exceptionally well. Kasim with the big receiving touchdown, and then his brother Denny not to be out, out, outdone with the big punt return touchdown. Um, so it's, it's you know, I really, I really don't know what to make of it. And of course, we look at a guy like Taron de Young that missed pretty much all of last year, finishes 14 and 25, 265, two TDs. You know, nice numbers and, and nice numbers for sure. Not to take away from that, but you know, it just had that feeling of kind of playing down to their opponent and just not making the statement win. That, that was the big thing we talked about when York went to Mac. Is that for Mac, you don't you're you're expected to beat this team. Mac obviously was never in the situation Carlton was, as you highlight, of being down, let alone down eight nothing, as as the Ravens were. But you just really want, after a bit of a shaky start for the Ravens, them to be able to put their foot down. On the York side of things, just two players that absolutely need to be highlighted for tremendous, tremendous games, um, and it kind of perhaps goes to highlight some of those issues for Carlton. One is Melkus Alunga, uh, the running back for the Lions, who, you know, I, I don't know where he was slotted in their depth chart with all things being equal, or I should say with all players being healthy, that is. But obviously, we haven't seen them with Avanti McCoy. Uh, we've seen... Um, uh, I, I'm spacing on their other uh, running back uh, uh, his, his name but you know we saw him in their first game and then we haven't seen him since so I don't know where uh, Melchus would have fallen into the fold with those two veteran backs I mean not that they're overly veteran, still fairly young players. But nonetheless, he finishes with twenty, uh, 24 carries uh, and 127 yards uh, on the ground. Um, and he, once again, contrast that with Ferguson only getting nine touches. That's pretty remarkable. And then Alfred Olay, once again, um, as far as trusting our word versus what you see on the stat sheets, he did not rush one carry for 109 yards. Um, As amazing as that would have been, it was, I believe, a missed field goal that he returned to the house. But just as a result, we're kind of seeing now multiple fronts that on multiple fronts issues with the Ravens and not to just push aside what York did, but Alunga getting that kind of yardage on them in the run game. And I mean, See, like, yeah,
1: it's, you know, this is not the first time it's happened. I mean, you know, we're in a position where, uh, you know, getting gashed last week by UFT in the run game as well. And. You know we're still kind of learning where UFT's run game is at. As you know, as we kind of know, they're stymied a bit in week one against Queens, stymied a bit again this week against Laurier. And it's if you're Carlton, you know you're going into a game against Queens next weekend, and dare I say, you know, arguably second, maybe third
0: best rushing attack in the league. Uh, you know, some things need to get fixed before you get into that one. Hundred percent. Actually, that that's a great point, and. You know, we'll get into the UFT, uh, what they did on the ground. But yeah, now with sort of a few games of data to extrapolate from, it does seem a bit, you know, that, that that is a hole for them. And also, you look at, I mean, once again, you know, a team putting up 45 points, you know, someone might be saying, well, that is a statement when well, that is great. But then we look at they had one of the touchdowns was I mean you highlighted the two punt blocks one that was scooped and scored for the touchdown the other set them up with great field position Shaheem Charles Brown had um I forget if it was a it was on a muffed punt I think where he recovered it for a touchdown as well um and then the the uh Denny Ferdinand punt return and obviously you know a win is a win and all those things are part of the game and part of what led to that being the score it was but it's just you know you, I would I would really yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call it building momentum. Let's that, say yeah I think that's yes I think that's a great way to put it. Um, and you know it really doesn't get easier for them as you know you mentioned that you know rushing attack that Queens has um, and that's who Carlton's going to visit next week um, and then they host Windsor the week after that and another immense rushing attack um, and the week after that they have the Panda game with J P Sim and Kinda so this seems to be a trend um as far as teams being able to perhaps put up yards on the ground against them and if they can't clean that up and and start getting you know they can obviously put up points sort of with the totality of their team specials and offense included but if they can't start doing that a little quicker out the jump these slow starts are really going to have them behind the eight ball if they're trying to come back against teams if they're rushing the ball the way that teams have been chewing up the clock it's um it's going to be tough sledding for them um so I don't know. Any last notes you got on this one?
1: Well, I mean, just kind of, it's funny, you know, kind of mentioning Shaheem Charles-Brown. I just feel like, you know, while the like in the past, Carlton necessarily hasn't been, let's say the number one defense in the league, but I feel like, you know, a number of pros having come from that program over years, obviously you're used to those big names in the box. Um, Kasser, Hoyt, you know, Kenny Onyeka, just to mention a few, and it just seems kind of a bit of in a turnover, a transition period where they just don't really have that same level of talent to be
0: able to compete. Yeah, I imagine you got to know some of those uh, defenders for the Ravens fairly intimately during your time with Queens. But we'll put that game to bed and move over to our next game. One of the games I was most entranced with, um, and it was the Ottawa Gigi's on the road taking out the McMaster Marauders. We already set up, and it's, pardon me, final score in this game: Ottawa twenty, McMaster fourteen. Uh, we already set up the massive news going into this game with Mac having to forfeit their first two games, two wins of course at Carlton and then home against York. Um, And so this game was obviously going to be a huge game for them. I mean, sort of where we thought these two teams kind of were after two weeks of action, it was going to be huge nonetheless with them sort of being, I think, I think, fair to say on similar footing. And of course the result somewhat nets that out that it is the case. Um, I, I haven't heard too much more as far as what happened with the ineligible players that led to the, um, the, the Marauders forfeiting those two games. But let's just, just focusing on this one. Um, you know, it's definitely a tale of two halves where the first half kind of like we were saying with Carlton, once again, this interesting parallel parallel with the Ravens and the Marauders, Mac really just couldn't get much going offensively, and you know we talked about you mentioning the performance by Dolly Wall in this game defensively. Um, you know it's 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 obviously not a a defense just heralded by one. I mean James Peters, James Peter, um, Tom was mentioning leads the. The OUA and I think maybe U Sports and tackles another strong game by him. Christopher Cyril having a really strong game. Eric Cumberbatch really strong year so far. Kevin Victome interception and just playing some really good lockdown defense. And then a couple of good players on their defensive line as well. So definitely a, a defense that is you know up there. I, not off the top of my head where I'm, I'm not going to put a ranking of them, but specifically in that secondary, they're a tough team to uh, to move the ball on. And from what we've seen from Mac offensively so far slow starting but we've seen a non-existent off uh pardon me run game we've seen an offensive line that has been getting Duick exact left right and center and then we've been able to see them get yardage and just score on just some heroic efforts by Duick himself despite taking the hits and we look at his final line here 28 for 41 248 one touchdown two interceptions you know despite the 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 excitement of the end of this game coming down to Mac getting a Hail Mary attempt you know to me this is when you have a defense that's going to be able to do what Ottawa did and slowing down Duick uh, a fair bit and still get to the quarterback they're not left with too much offensively Um, and they have some good playmakers on defense but you know um, obviously Ottawa won the game so it's hard not to say they are the better team than the Marauders but to me that is a like that's not a question in my mind at all obviously we still haven't seen Justice Allen for Mac but Ottawa is the better team. They obviously won this game. It was tight. But the GGs in the sort of vague power rankings in my head are above Mac. What are you thinking about these two teams in this game? No, and for
1: good reason. I think, you know, what's interesting for me is this kind of isn't your, you know, previous generation Ottawa GGs team where, you know, maybe we're used to seeing them spread it out and throw the ball a bit and be more offensive, you know, harking back to say the Derek Wendell days. But I mean, this team is really Kind of, you know, turned itself into sort of a real solid defensive team. I mean, you know, and kind of looking what they did against Windsor in Week One. I mean, as kind of time goes on, you know, I think that may become, you know, look a lot better as time goes on. I mean, we saw what Windsor was able to do against that Guelph defense last week. You know, Guelph defense having another rough week this week, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, but it's running the ball in defense and something that you know maybe I mean back to my playing days, something I'm not used to seeing um, from the GGs, but. I mean, the big thing for me going into this one and which made it so hard to make the pick uh, to go with Ottawa was that stat of McMaster only losing the Laurier and Western at home since 2010 and sort of, you know, as going, going into Ron Joyce myself on three separate occasions and coming out with three L's, you know, you know how difficult it is, you know, Zach, I'm sure you can attest to it as well. Um, But this shows, you know, sort of the sign of a real kind of mature football team and sort of You know, we saw last week that maybe they were on the precipice for a bit. It was a close game. But in the end, you know, Queens just ended up being sort of the mature team and kind of limiting the turnovers that kind of ate the GGs. This time, it was kind of the other way around where, you know, you kind of saw Mac coming back and it's, what's going to happen with Ottawa here? Are they going to cave or they're going to kind of give in? But then you saw them turn around and pull off the big turnover at the end of the game and sort of, you know, that ended up being the difference on the day is Mac had those two picks and Ottawa just really you know, safe, you know, I've I already said it before, but mature football and sort of, you know, we're really seeing this team grow a lot before our eyes and really a huge win for Ottawa, but we're left say, you know, what's left for this max season.
0: Are they dead, Zach? Oh gosh. Uh, I might have to save a grand proclamation like that for Friday's podcast. That is a very valid question, but I just, can, I, we, can
1: we run through it quick? I know I have the schedule oh, in front of oh, me, please. bring it up. Bring it
0: up. Yes. Let's so go. Let's,
1: let's recall. Mag, 0-3. Yeah. Okay, at the moment. <sighs> Next game, at Waterloo. Oh. What would you... Like, if you had to guess, I would say that's probably, you know, close to a pick on Waterloo being at home, I'd say maybe, you know, minus two and a half, minus three for Waterloo.
0: Honestly, that gives me a lot of vibes of Guelph going into Waterloo, where, you know, now knowing what we saw... A bit a bit more knowing knowing a bit more now from what we saw from Guelph, thinking that both those teams, that might be a shootout kind of game. You know what? Let's be optimistic and give them
1: the W. Let's say max one and three. All right. Next game, home to Western. Okay. Next one. It's one and four. Next one. One and four. Next game
0: at Guelph. And you know what? That's a Guelph team that, by you know, we're looking at October seventh, might have some pieces on defense revamped and in the fold, and maybe Max got Justice Allen back. But let's give it to Guelph at home. I mean, oh shoot, okay. What are we saying? One and five now? Okay, all right, all right. You know what? Let's we can stop right there. The, I mean, the experiment's <laughs> done. Mac, their goose is cooked. Their their goose is cooked.
1: And just 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 the you know give the context. So the following week after that is at oh. Queens. <laughs> So really I mean sort of I mean I mean if you told me before the season that this Mac team is going to you know turn lose these games especially the one against York I mean you know obviously it wasn't them like you know losing the games in terms of what happened in the field of play but still if you told me they lost this this York and this Ottawa game I would have told you they're not going to make the playoffs so really sort of a dramatic turnaround needs to happen uh, for these Marauders to uh to make the playoffs or else it'll be two straight years without them there so
0: you know what just to go kind of complete because just to complete your thought experiment out you know now we're invoking too many other aspects of the schedule with other teams but their last game of the season is at home against uft and in my mind i'm thinking that could be a winner go home in some crazy Are both teams <laughs> well exactly exactly yeah 100 percent um i don't okay all right oh my goodness this season's already so amazing um you know, a few more words just on Ottawa before we move off. You know, I feel like it's uh, it's easy to sort of. Well, I mean, the, the cliches write themselves because they're they've written themselves by virtue of being cliches. But just looking at the sort of full scope of this team, we've talked so much about the defense um, and uh, sort of what they're capable of. JP Sim Kinda being really solid uh, as a runner. You know, probably you know, I don't know, top top five, top six in the league, depending on how you want to uh, rank guys and whatnot. And then we look at a guy like Ben Merrickle at quarterback, and um, you know, he he really does sort of fill in the last piece of a team that has a a really strong run game, a really strong defense, and then a quarterback who, if he can, you know, his performance: fifteen for twenty-seven, one touchdown, no interceptions, only got sacked once. Where you know, if he can just that kind of game manager position i mean it's a cliche but really when you look at the pieces on this team they don't need him to be necessarily uh i mean him being that next level quarterback is what takes this team to being that next level team and obviously he has some good targets at receiver we have seen have a solid year i don't know what his status was last year i don't remember hearing his name out there but daniel oladeja who's been part of this Gigi's team now for, I think, five years. Uh, Almacar Polk, uh, uh, Rodney Estime, bad drop by Estime in that game yesterday actually I just got to throw that out I mean not to throw shade in any by any means but like just disappointing because like I, I we I mean, we were big on Estime last year yourself especially I'd say so uh, I thought he could have had a bigger game um, and Dylan St. Pierre so they got some weapons out there some veterans especially and some young talent to make miracles uh, job a bit lighter but you know all the pieces are there for that type of run heavy stop you on defense and then a couple clutch plays on in the passing game you know being able to use the play action um, Um, You know, and we've talked about us both being uh, uh, Bill Simmons uh, folks, but this is a frisky Ottawa Gigi's team if I ever seen one. Uh, So, you know, we already mentioned who Mac has coming up. Just quickly, we'll say that Ottawa... No, next week, are returning home to take on the Guelph Griffins in a very intriguing matchup. We'll see what Helfrich can do. Helfrich can do against uh, this defense, but we'll put that game to bed and we'll go to the game that you were in attendance live. Um, I, I, so, are you are you like a season ticket holder at Varsity Stadium? Is is that what's going on? Is is that the deal, or do you get like a? Do you still just throw on like your old coaching swag and you just walk in? Just a little you know, I, don't, I don't want
1: to say Zach that I'm on a bit of a diplomatic mission. I mean. It's- <laughs> Let's say it's been a bit of, I don't know, I don't even know if I can say it's been a bit of a cold war between at the 55 and the U of T varsity blues, because it's been a bit hot at times. Okay. You know, whether it's in the comments or in the stands, uh, you know, there's a, it's been a bit testy at times, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get down there. I try to get in the beer garden. I try to shake hands and kiss some babies. You know what I mean for the brand and, uh, you know. Some people, you know, may accept this. Some people may not. Hey, but uh, you know, I'm a I'm a blues fan at heart. If we could play all the games we want here, but you know, this is a team I want to see do well. It should be
0: noted, Nate Hobbs is sitting in his home at the mic with a UFT blue sweater on. <laughs> Final score in this game, though the laurier Golden Hawks going into Varsity Stadium and picking up the win, twenty five to twenty. Um like I said, this game felt sort of the uh, the back burner for me, keeping a tighter eye on the other three one o'clock games. But you know, a few things of note before I just hand it over to you to get sort of the the sort of in house analysis being uh, at Varsity. You know, we mentioned the rushing attack that UFT was able to put up against Carlton last week. Bit more down to earth. Like we said, no one I think thought that those numbers from Adam Williams were going to be indicative of what he was going to do for the rest of the year. Finishes sixteen attempts, forty nine carries. One touchdown, Kinsale a handful of yards himself. And then as well in the air, Kinsale Philip continues, you know, uh, a good, you know, opening campaign for himself. 18 for 30, 192, one touchdown. Um, but just quickly on the the, the Laurier side of things, um, Taylor Elgersma looked like a pretty strong performance by him and rushing the ball. It looks like Quentin Scott is the go-to back kind of talked about, you know, Nelms, I think been there an extra year or two from Scott, but it looks like Quentin has taken the helm finishes with 99 yards, one touchdown Uh, from the view from the beer garden. What was your perspective on this matchup in what looked like a a very competitive game?
1: Well, you know, it's very fascinating coming in because I feel like these are two teams where we're trying to judge, you know, kind of how far they should be up the totem pole and who's for real. And you have these two young and upcoming quarterbacks. Um, And, you know, I think we learned a lot. And I think, you know, I feel comfortable saying that these two teams, you know, Laurier and Toronto, I could see very well being in the playoffs. Um, And I think Laurier just, you know, at the end of the day, probably a bit more strong in a couple areas. One of them being the running game, of course, Um, you know, mentioned a bit previously already, but I think that was part of the difference in the game is sort of, U of T in that offense last week, it was really is about the running game is about lining up and double tights, which hadn't been seen before, you know, this week, you know, Laurie obviously had a plan for it. U of T not nearly as successful running the ball and sort of that's where their offense struggled. But at the same time, like, you know, and talking to some folks after the game, I, I still feel pretty good. If I'm U of T like, um, let's be honest, this game was at a point where it was 25, nine at one point. And that's, you know, I know we said this again last week, but this is a, a, a point in time where, We're used to seeing teams like this sort of fall by the wayside. And next thing you know, it's it's 40 to nine. You know what I mean? But this time around, you know, they're fighting back and sort of staying in the game like that. Still a young ball club and sort of against the Laurier team where I think we'll look back and we'll say, you know what? We could very well see them, you know, sort of in that third spot. You know, I'm, you know, saying they're up there, you know, maybe with sort of the queens of the world and things like that. Not Western, of course, but. Um, you know, I think positives for both teams. I think Laurier, you know, being very much for real. And I think Toronto, you're able to say you're right there. And, you know, as you kind of grow throughout the season, maybe you're able to close out a game like this.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the sort of upper potential for Laurier. Of course, one of the tricky things for them is going to be the fact having that week one by and knowing that it's just they got to go straight through to the playoffs. I, I want to touch in on, on the defense a little bit because this was what made them such a, a a fun team to watch last year with those names that you know we've talked about over and over again and a few of them graduating out of the program and obviously still having guys like Shamari Hutchison in there, uh, Ife Onyemenem, Brandon Omanua, Luke Brubacher, but a guy who you know just not realizing that, that he was even on this team And, you know, we talked about Talik Ayuman, former York Lion, now with the Carlton Ravens having, I guess, a bit of a homecoming of sorts, playing his former team, Uh, another former York Lion uh, on the defense side of things, and Damian Jamison having a great performance in his new colors for the Golden Hawks, finishing with 10 total tackles. Um, But, no, I think you make make a good point with both these teams. I feel like, once again, I didn't come into this pod ready to sort of – have kind of tears and maybe we can after next week where we'll kind of have seen half the games for some of the teams can have a sort of sense of like the tears and whatnot, but it does feel like the same way that we said, you know, maybe Ottawa and Mac are close Ottawa. Definitely. I think we're in agreement kind of above them, uh, in, in however you want to grade it. It seems like these two teams, young QBs, um, rushing attack. I mean, Adam Williams, obviously the veteran, um, and just uh, some good receivers there that they're they're really able to pass the ball around to. But ultimately, as far as the sort of big picture of these two teams, we talked about a bit this year in specific, you know, do these teams, do you feel like they're on like a similar trajectory? Um, I think, I mean, I say they're both going up for me, but I think, you know,
1: after just kind of seeing the game on the weekend and just kind of where that Laurier defense is at and sort of where the running attack is, you know, relative to Toronto, I would say. You know, they're at a bit of a higher angle, let's say. It was a bit more steeper of a curve for them. Um, but that's not to say, you know, Toronto doesn't have high potential. I mean, you know, still maybe some more things, some more tweaks they can make in the running game. Um, but, you know, still a lot of talent on that roster. And, you know, maybe they click a bit more as the season goes on.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what? I mean, next week we have Toronto going to play Windsor. Tough task, obviously. It'll be good to see what Windsor does coming off the bye. That'll be your nightcap for next week. Joey Zorn, um, just going to be doing Joey Zorn things, no doubt. Um, and for Laurier, going to play York where, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves as being the review pod, but should be a win for them. But you know what? Despite the things that we said about Mac and Carlton having disappointing wins against York, I kind of for- foresee Laurier, you know, not having that, I mean, kind of being a bit as younger team upstart with the young quarterback, some new pieces on the defensive side of things, the, you know, running backs and and stuff. So I'll be really interested to see how they deal with, you know, obviously that pesky defense and schemes that the Lions like to throw out and how they protect Algersma in that regard. But I really do see Laurier making that statement win at York that we didn't really see out of either Carlton or out of Mac when they played the Lions. Um any last thoughts on, on this one before we call it a wrap and go to our nightcap game? I think we got it covered. All right. Well I also totally misspoke because we are one game away from our nightcap. We have the shootout of all shootouts this weekend where we saw the Guelph Griffins pick up seems weird saying this coming into week three, but their first win of the season at Waterloo, final score on this one, the Griffins 41. The Waterloo Warriors 35 Much like we said with the Ottawa and Mac game, tail of two halves because going into the fourth quarter, pardon me, Waterloo was trailing by 12. And they were able to tie it up on a, I believe, 49-yard field goal. 49-yard field goal by friend of the show, an all-Canadian, Cole Crossett, and just, you know, you already mentioned the performance by Halfrick, no Clark Barnes, having Janusis out there as his number one guy. I think he had the long of, of 84. And then, but for Waterloo as well, I mean, you know, we're talking, I'm talking about this as being the shootout absolutely needs to be recognized. They were down Gordon Lamb serving a one-game suspension after their first game against York. James Bazaliga, who we saw come onto the scene hot last year, continuing his immense performance so far this year. I don't have the stats of the season uh, in front of me right now, but I think he's probably up to five. I think he probably has I think, five receiving touchdowns in two games. I mean, th- craziness. Um, so obviously both these teams missing their top two receivers, some might argue Basiliga may have overtaken lamb, but you know, I'm a big fan of G lamb. I'm, I'm not going to necessarily say that myself. Um, what did you think about the performance of these two young quarterbacks knowing they were missing some of their top guys at receiver um, in this, um, you know, absolutely entertaining game? Well, I mean, the first thing, like I already mentioned kind of earlier is kind of
1: how impressed I was with sort of how freaking kind of how quickly he's turned around and learned the Canadian game. Um, you know, just a side thought, I'll be very interested to see how he does against Ottawa next week, who does a fantastic job of kind of disguising things and throwing different looks at him. But in terms of this game, I mean, you know, the way he was able to to adjust is definitely very impressive Um, and kind of, you know, I feel like we've seen this Guelph team identity completely flip, at least, you know, for this week. And maybe it'll be the case going forward because I feel like this year um that defense hasn't, hasn't, let, you know, lit the world on fire at all. And in fact, as kind of, I don't want to say been a letdown, but it's definitely not what we're used to from sort of that union. And, you know, we kind of mentioned in past weeks that they're missing a couple key guys, but I mean, sort of, you know, we saw the game last week against Windsor, you know, we saw the game against Western. We know what Western can do, but still, you know, the least amount of points they've let up in a game over three games, is 28 points. You know, I'm used to seeing these golf <laughs> games where we got scores in the teens. So now at this point in time, when they got a you know, sort of a gunslinger back there, you know, maybe I'll be uh, a little more excited to watch the Guelph games on the weekends from this point forward. We'll see. Um, you know, as a team for Waterloo, I think seeing a guy like Nolan Caban come in and you know what? He's not perfect. He's kicking around 50%, but, you know, sort of has the guts to make big throws and take chances. And I think really watching all these kind of young quarterbacks in the league right now, I think, you know, just kind of had me, you know, reflecting in the shower the other day. Let's say that, you know, kind of we've really kind of seen, I think, sort of the standard be raised in terms of quarterback play in the OUA. I feel like, you know, let's say over the past 10 years or so, how many times have we seen, you know, a team have to kind of start with somebody and they roll somebody and then it kind of switches and switches and switches. And then they just never figure out who it is and everyone's kind of searching for that next guy. But, you know, we have a lot of teams right now with capable quarterbacks. And I think, you know, this is another game where you know you have a team like Waterloo, who in the past they're down by a couple of scores and it falls by the wayside. We said the same thing about UFT: a couple of scores up, maybe they fall by the wayside. But now, sort of teams have a much higher ability to kind of fight back in these games. And you know, this is maybe more of kind of a meta commentary than let's say focusing on this game. But I think like it speaks to kind of the parity and increased competition that we see in this league, where we know we kind of have, you know, one team at the top in Western who's very good, and let's say one team at the bottom um but then everyone in between you know I don't I can't like it's all very close and it's not like I know you know in the past maybe it's this week I know Guelph's going and playing Waterloo and I know it's going to be a three-score game like I don't think that's the case anymore in this league and I think it's really exciting and you know I'm just really looking forward to 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 more games like this I know that, that maybe that's not exactly sort of the commentary that that um you know fans of these two specific teams are looking for but I think and this week's games in general but this one in particular that's what kind of has stood out to me.
0: No, I I think that's I think this game I think much like that Ottawa Mac game as well and really that the, pretty much every game except for the Carlton pretty much the every game except for the two games involving the two teams one of which you named by name in the Western Mustangs the other which you know we get it. <gasps> Uh, will demonstrate exactly the point that you're making. And, you know, we kind of jumped ahead to some of those games coming up on the schedule a little bit. No no reason, based on what we've seen so far this year, to think that any of those games from that sort of 2 through 10 slot are going to be any less entertaining. Some of the things for Guelph that just are kind of interesting thinking about big picture, if this is indicative of where they're heading in, talked about them kind of going into that sort of gunslinger mentality with Hellfrick and obviously when Barnes is back hopefully I,
1: I like how we're going one for one with Helfrich and Helfric. We got our bases covered. I'm willing. I'm willing to go down, guys. If I'm wrong, let's let's get we'll get that cleared up for next week.
0: <laughs> Jake the Snake in a quarterback, but you know, um, we obviously saw a breakout game by Isaiah Smith against Windsor, the young back out of uh, out of Burlington, and it, it kind of raised the question whether he was going to become the bell cow for them at running back or whether it was just going to be a continued, you know, we, we've seen for the last few years them kind of rotating guys like. Juwan Jeffrey and and Kane Stevens and Kwame Osi in there and you know I I just going through the numbers on the rushing attack I mean you see Thomas Barrio with six carries coming next in line after Smith's 14 for 70 and Barrio of course with a touchdown as well Juwan Jeffrey three receptions not a single carry so I'm very interested I mean they obviously have you know they have Clark we saw Janusis with a breakout performance aside from that a lot of good, not necessarily great talent in the skill position areas. I mean, obviously Isaiah Smith has shown things that maybe indicate down the line. He'll, he'll be a, a, you know, a guy that we're going to be putting on lists and things like that, but it'll be really interesting to see how they move some of these pieces around guys, you know, getting, uh, getting carries and then moving out to the receiver position and vice versa. And just having a lot of versatility in there. And, uh, you know, I certainly have been one to uh, throw shade towards Ryan Sheehan. He obviously, though, has had success as, uh, you know, an offensive coordinator and, and a coach um, and being the head coach here. So, you know, there is obviously the the trust that with all the pieces he has, he should be able to figure it out. And frankly, I think that's where some of the frustration comes from where you know whether it's the some of the names we've seen that quarterback room or some of the guys we've seen over the years the short tenure that shan has been here it's kind of like dude like it's 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 been a minute since you've been here now there are players i mean get this offense rolling whether this game is going to be i mean you mentioned that ottawa game coming up being a really interesting test for for this guelph offense um (laughs) it's a very fascinating team in guelph to see what they're going to do um and last thing I'll say before I give you last word on this as well, uh, you know, we mentioned Guelph uh, defensively, you know, not being at the mark of where they've been in years past. And we've mentioned some of the names that have graduated out and moved on to the CFL and some of the names that we do expect to return from them. But, you know, one of the things that really uh, allowed Waterloo to come back in this game and no doubt the Heat played a part in this, but on that defensive line for Guelph, they were, you know, guys were going down left, right, and center, whether it was Josh Brown or, um, uh, I was about to call him, uh, Coulter Woodmanzy, Curtis Woodmanzie, uh, the other Woodmanzy brother, um, and just allowing a guy like Nick Sua and Anthony Miller to really have success running the ball, making Caban's life a little bit easier at quarterback. So, you know, Waterloo showed some nice things in their two games this, uh, so far this season. Um, but, you know, that, as you already mentioned, that Guelph defense is going to be uh, another facet to really keep your eye on. Um, any last thoughts on this one before we move on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still just, uh, you know, not to like leave Waterloo behind, but I just feel like I still, you know, see some flashes, see some good things. But I just I'm still at a point where I don't really know where to put them. And I think sort of, you know, this one against Guelph was kind of a big one and one, you know, they very could have easily won the game just as well. Um, and I think it'll be very interesting, you know, to see them again, go against, you know, a team where we wonder what's going on in Mac. So, you know, still looking to, to figure out some things, um, but they definitely, I think, you know, if they were able to go uh, into that Western week two and one, then I think that would be huge for them.
0: Yeah, um, you know, obviously you're totally right. Still some questions. One question that seems to be answered is that they got a second year kid and no one ban who seems to be QB one. Uh, we talked about when we had that preview pod with Tom of being like all these QBs in first and second year and we don't really have a read on any of them. Um, clearly Bert knew what he was doing going in this year and he, he clearly has a dude there. Uh, one last thing I will though say we mentioned that huge um, field goal by Cole Crossett. He didn't come back after that game and he doesn't after that kick and he doesn't just kick the field goals from he punts for them. And this is partly what set up Guelph to get that the last touchdown was that with Cole out of the game they had who I'm assuming is James Basiliga's brother and Evan Bazaliga, um kick a punt from deep in their own zone. At an earlier point in the game, it would have been a scenario where you're definitely going to take the safety, give up the two. So they have their backup kicker punching away deep in their end zone, giving Guelph a great field to be able to score that last touchdown. Waterloo then responds by blocking the field goal, making that last drive they had. It was so, so tantalizing because obviously if they scored, there would have been an extra point away from picking up the the huge win at home. But let's let's say no more of that one. And... Now move into our nightcap, the the game that uh, that I was at live, along with I don't know like fifteen thousand other people. I don't know what the numbers were. I I'm dying to know what the total gate concessions and everything like that was there. But it is your Queens Golden Gales coming into London and losing to the Western Mustangs. Final score thirty five to eleven. Um, a, a tight ball game in the first half. Um. And you know we obviously talked about Evan Hillock's performance um, as I handed him my offensive player of the game. We saw Western, you know, while it took them a bit of time. This is a Queen's defense that that is stout, though missing a few guys on that defense. We'll get into that in a moment. Still able to run the ball. Keon 120 on the ground. Winati with 95 of his own. Um, but, you know, I I I, I want to stop. I want to stop there myself. Just. To, to throw to you with this specific question. I mean, whatever thoughts you had on it, but did Queens show us enough? And like I said, they were, they were definitely missing some guys on defense, but they show us enough that if they, if they return, and I think from what we've seen so far, they probably are the favorite to return to London for a Yates Cup when we get there. Did they show you enough in this game that gives you hope that they can give them a a good game in a Yates Cup in London, however many weeks away we are from that? Uh, Well, I could tell you it's progress. I mean, it was better than
1: the last (laughs) time, right? Uh, (laughs) Because that Yates Cup game was rough, man. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know if calamity is the right word, but just really, you know, kind of not really being able to get anything going in sort of that finale last year. Um, Let's be honest. I mean, you were there you're at the scene. This is not an excuse for the Gales by any means, but, uh, you know, I could tell you uh, they, they like to pick Queens for those blackout games. I've been in one, you know, and they smacked us around a little bit. And, you know, when they were getting up 14, nothing, you know, I was kind of, you know, I've been there. I remember what that's like and sort of seeing them claw back a bit and fight, I think is definitely sort of progress. And I think, you know, last year we saw a team that wasn't quite ready for it. And to be honest, they're still not quite ready for it now. And like, you know, especially on offense, there's still like a pretty young ball club bar, you know, James Keenan and Richard Burton. There's still, you know, especially in the backfield, a lot of young guys. And, you know, I think being able to put, you know, over a hundred yards of rushing on Western is kind of, you know, pretty good. And, you know, as a, you know, kind of my era at Queens being, you know, quite different from sort of this, this Steve Snyder offense and what, you know, maybe some would say the Westernification of of the Queens offense is sort of being able to run the ball like this. Um, You know, I think it's still, it's still positive. It's still good to see. I mean, obviously like the thing about Western is, is, you know, whenever you play them is, they're they're a team that's going to force you to be at your absolute best to win the game. And they're a team that lives by essentially making you do the right thing over and over and over and over and over again. And betting that, you know what, you're just going to make more mistakes because they have the better players and they're not going to go and overcommit themselves on some crazy scheme or anything like that. They're just going to, you know, play good football. Um, And in this situation, you know, Queens did a bit better job than the last time, but I still think at the end of the day, um, we're going to need to see a bit more consistency from that offense and sort of You know, those blitzes, as you mentioned, played sort of a big role in keeping them off balance and keeping them out of that rhythm that, you know, Weston, on the other hand, was able to sustain throughout the game.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned Queen's rushing attack. We saw the return of Jaden Blackman making his homecoming, uh, being a London kid, um, though not overly productive in this one. We didn't see Kasari um, for Queen's running the ball, so that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. You know, to me, you're talking about just what it takes to beat Western, and one of the things Tom and I spoke on is that um, it, they're a team that you can't trade threes for sevens. You know, you have to score match them point for point. Um, and to me, the turning point in this game was fairly early in the third quarter, maybe midway through the third quarter. It's still twenty-one to seven. Queens has the ball. They're deep in Western's territory. They go for on a third and short. They don't get it. Western starts their drive, I think, you know, within their 10, they're faced with a third and short. And to quote my dad, I'm going to throw a little Yiddish out here on the podcast, the chutzpah, or for those a term maybe a bit more familiar with, the cojones of Western to go for a third and short under the shadow of their goalposts and Queens shuts the door on them. You know, I. I don't believe really in football gods or any gods of that matter, to be frank. But that's the type of thing you see in a game and you think, oh, that is bad juju. That is a sign that whatever, right? I say all that in saying that Queen's getting the ball back on, I think, the Western 13 or so. They're quickly faced with a third and we'll call it medium. I don't remember exactly. They settle for the field goal, making it 21 to 10. Or if you were following my butchered tweets, 21 to 19. Corrected that fairly quickly. My apologies if you freaked out for a second. I say that in saying that I think they should have gone for it again. I, you, you know what? Because at the end of the day, you just were able to force Western to a three and out. They hadn't got the running game going to where it ended up being. Um, that is for the Mustangs. I was a little disappointed they settled for that field goal. I would have liked to see them take another shot. And who knows where that game goes if it ends up 21-14 at that time. It, it probably reflects maybe... The commentary we had about Ottawa Queens from last week, where, hey, you could keep it close for three quarters or so, and then the other team's gonna pull away. But that was one of my big takeaways from that. Is just I I really wish they had gone for it in that moment. Because the very least you're in the same situation you were literally a series ago when Western was underneath, uh, you know, within their ten after you failed on the third and short. Um. So I found that bugged me a little bit. Still bugs me. Um. Last, i'm, sure, I'm yeah. sure
1: i you know i'm sure queen's not thinking about it this way but you know from sort of an outside perspective you're playing with house money no one's expecting you to go in there and win this game and you know you almost maybe you don't want to win this game because you know how hard it would be to beat western a second time in a season when was the last time someone was <laughs> able to do that you know what i mean so i mean like you know it's not to say you know maybe the, the coach has a decision chart or whatever but you know i i'm absolutely uh lock and step with you on that point that uh yeah, there there are certain times where you can be a little more gutsy, let's say, than others. But I mean, it's easy to say from here, you know, sit, sitting in my room, but and not uh, under the lights, uh surrounded by the darkness of the of that blackout at, at, in
0: London. Well, it's a a beautiful choice of words and saying playing with house money because also playing with a lot of real money because I know a lot of folks. Folks that you and I know very closely saw the line that cool bets put out for this one and uh, ultimately made a good amount of money with Western picking up the victory as they did. But I'm sure folks were sweating in that moment with uh, what was, what was the I think they said it at was it so it's I,
1: like, I, I kept I kept my eye on this because uh, I laid a couple uh, a couple w- friendly wages of my own, um, you know. <laughs> staying away from that queens game you know as uh as uh you know you don't want to kind of uh mix you know the business with personal the colliding of worlds let's say um but yeah i think it's the line i know started at minus five and i think sort of by sort of the the saturday morning mark um was up to seven and a half for western so um you know people probably you know Knowing kind of what the outcome was for the eighth cup and saying, you know, the last time it wasn't even close to being five points. So some people fr- felt probably felt a bit comfortable and, uh, you know, maybe spent a little extra mo- money on brunch today uh, as a result. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh definitely. But I mean who I'm I'm sure if we went back to some of the lines that we made though, of course, not with actual money to be made or last on lost on them. I'm sure that there's plenty of uh uh, you know. Not on the record at least uh, N- Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, last thing I wanna say, uh just watching uh just with this game in general. Um you know, obviously we've seen James Keene have a really great career for himself at Queens. Um and we got to see um, his young backup, and Alex Vrieken, uh come in to. Uh, I believe it was. Yeah, he got the the goal line uh, QB sneak touchdown for them. You know, we've talked about some of the the you know great young quarterbacks we've seen around: Helfrich, Caban, uh, Kinsale, Phillip, uh, Al Grisma, Obviously. Um, Evan Hillock from what I hear from people around this Queens team and you might know better than I do I'm probably I'm pretty confident you probably do another kid that you know when James leaves this program uh, just another really you know you talked about all the talented young quarterbacks another really talented young QB that um you know obviously the big thing this year was Trey's gone uh has gone Merchant graduated 2 years ago who was going to step up? Was there going to be kind of this no man's land, this kind of void of OUA football? We've seen the complete opposite so far with just some great young QBs and a few more in the wings waiting to to take the helm. Um, what might you know about Vriken or just general generally last thoughts about this game or just the, the young QB conversation again?
1: Well, I mean, being involved in the, the Kingston football community for a few years there, um you know sort of sort of my time there kind of lined up with you know alex's time in high school let's say so you know a guy who was definitely around let's say in sort of conversations and things like that you know we knew there was this super talented kid at front neck high school you know he was the kind of kid that i I, i'll never forget you know kind of um you know going having a summer throw or something like that and hey we're gonna have a kid come out a local kid come out from high school or whatever he comes out he's slinging the ball around um, only to find out after the fact that he was 14 years old and looking more like he was 16, 17 kind of deal. Um, and then going into my time coaching and kind of being, you know, vaguely involved in sort of that one recruiting recruiting class guy where he was really the guy um, and sort of having all the tools and kind of, you know, I would venture to call it a bit Mahomesian and sort of the abilities that he has running and passing the football and being kind of, you know, having that arm talent and it's, uh, you know, For Queens, you have a great guy in James Keenan, but, you know, you also kind of have a local hero, you know, I mean, like, you know, not like (laughs) naming him a hero already, let's say, but sort of someone who's familiar with the community like that, uh, waiting in the wings who, you know, a lot of other programs wanted um, is definitely something they're, they're resting on for the future.
0: Yeah, so it'll, it'll be really interesting to see just what this next generation of quarterbacks looks like as we keep following the OUA for the next uh, however many years. Um, well, I mean, I have no plans to do anything but this pod for however many years. I can keep it going, so it'll be a great thing to see. Uh, the uh, Point being, this league's in great hands. For Queens, they're going back home to take on Carlton Western—they're getting the buy after a, a really a really strong performance to the start of their year. Um, so that'll wrap it from week three. Uh, Mr. Hobbs, any last thoughts just on everything we saw? What you're expecting going into next week, or just anything and everything? Any?
1: I do. I do have something. It's a bit of an aside. You know, I don't know. You know what our what our listeners think of sort of the sports betting world, and say you know, what that kind of means having it so much in our face all the time. And you see more and more kind of how coverage is evolving to kind of incorporate, you know, it used to be fantasy, but now, you know, how much, how much coverage is now being, you know, spent on what is the line for this game and sort of what your picks are in terms of that. Um, but this is the first time, you know, maybe ever that I think I've seen lines for regular season U sports games um and they didn't cover you know every single game as i you know i don't know if they have kind of someone who's that in tune to cover all that um but having a few lines for the weekend i think is kind of you know maybe let's say you know some people may think it's not exciting and maybe a bad thing but i think you know uh zach i'm someone who embraces change and i think it's inevitable and i think that that's in general this is where sports are going for better or for worse you know whether you think it's a vice or or just kind of a friendly game to play you know there is a line but Um, in terms of kind of this sport growing, I think it it is a big step to kind of have that sort of week to week and in the conversation. Um, and I could tell you from keeping an eye on it, that lines were moving and there definitely was some money on it, you know, how well it turned out for cool and, you know, who knew better them on the sharps, I, you know, I would be very, very interested to know kind of how that went for them, but, you know, just something to keep an eye on in the future is sort of, you know, cool and kind of, you know, what, if they come out with any more lines kind of next week and going forward.
0: No, I, I agree. I, you know, I, I don't personally, I, I, am not a, a better of any kind, but I, I see the value in it as I, obviously we talked about bet betting lines all last year. It's a fun mechanism to discuss sports and even if you're not putting any money down. So it's just more ways to drive conversation, to drive interest around this league that we love and eyeballs onto the product. And we just talked about how great the product is already. And all the reasons the product is only going to stay at this caliber and maybe even get better. So I'm with you. I'm if I'm with you 100 percent on that. That I think this is a great a great step just in the in the further promotion of OUA football. Which at the end of the day, I'll speak for myself, having started this little thing just over four years ago. Is what it's all about is promoting this league that at many times has, has been under undercovered. And, uh, you know, we obviously know as well as anyone having played in it, just the level of talent there and, and they deserve all the attention they get. So uh, shout out to any sponsors out there that are, you know, helping drive interest and just make this, uh, make, make this league, uh, as, as great as the players within it are. Um, so that'll wrap it up uh, for for Nate and I on the week through review. We have the the C to C coming for you. Uh, you know, the goal is to have it out Wednesday, Thursday, depending on you know some things on my end putting uh, the episode together. We have we have a uh, fingers crossed. We got our Quebec correspondent, so you won't just hear me reading scores anymore on that front. So we'll have the full C to C coverage, and then of course Friday you'll be hearing me and Tom uh, setting up week four in the OUA. And, what just, you know, has been so far uh, an electric start to the OUA season. I expect nothing less uh, from week four. So I'll talk to you then at the 55.